This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Meet Alicia Sinclair, creator and founder of pleasure companies you may already be intimately familiar with, Lawand Massager, B-Vibe Social, and The Cowgirl. Alicia joins Bedside today in conversation around not only her start in the pleasure product world, but what the landscape looks like for her today, five years later, after breaking out of her day jobs to the very first launch of her own product. Through her extensive research in the adult space, Alicia has fostered an attitude toward human sexuality that encourages sexual pleasure and experimentation. As a sex-positive advocate, sexuality coach, and educator, Sinclair recognizes that sexual well-being is, well, an important facet of our overall healthy lifestyles. And it's that very notion that has been her North Star ever since. As we cover topics of business, growing up, masturbation, media censorship, and intimacy, this is an episode you definitely don't want to miss. It's timely, it's refreshing, and it'll leave you feeling eager to take charge of your pleasure. Please welcome Alicia Sinclair. So Alicia, I'm so excited to chat with you today. You are the founder of Children of the Revolution, which operates as the umbrella company to your three brands, Lawand, B-Vibe, and The Cowgirl. And I'm really looking forward to just hearing more all about your companies. But first and foremost, I'd love for you to tell me how you got started working in the pleasure industry. I truly just want to know everything from the beginning. Yeah, it's well, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, it's not a super romantic story, actually. Um, I got out of college uh, in Seattle, and my sister lived in Los Angeles. And I moved down to Southern California, and I, was, uh, I had applied to USC, and I was hoping to get into a program there. And in the meantime, I needed a job. And literally, you know, this is now we're talking 17, 18 years ago. Um, and I applied for an ad on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was basically, you know, looking for, you know, I think it was the receptionist or administrative assistant, something in that vein for, you know, someone who's open minded. Because, you know, the, if you will, the porn valley is, you know, is just outside Los Angeles, uh, the city of Los Angeles. And there's just a ton of companies based there. And I didn't really have a a cognizant knowledge of that at the time. So I answered this ad and I went in for this interview and it was at a sex toy company. And it was, you know, uh, it had a very, you know, corporate name, which is what you do in adult because it's hard to get, you know, credit card processors and stuff like that. And you know, I went in and I, I I was like really freaked out in the beginning. But, you know, I, when I met the people and I got a sense of the company, I was like, you know, this isn't this is actually like a good job. They were paying me better than most folks. So I took the I took the job at the time and then just found that I actually really saw tons of opportunity in the industry 
from a perspective of a woman, you know, because most of the, most of the products were not only super heteronormative, but they were very like strangely marketed and branded. So, you know, I slipped on a banana peel and then I really liked where I ended up. Oh my goodness. That is truly such a great story because (laughs) you honestly fell right into that completely unintentionally completely unintentionally (laughs) and it became my career I like spent my I've spent my now entire professional life in this business so what was the messaging around sex for you like growing up because I'm curious like what that you know Alicia getting into a company she had no idea was basically being a receptionist for a sex company um and then kind of Alicia growing up like I'm wondering what that in between was that kind of honestly allowed you to approach that with an open mind because I think a lot of people would maybe get into the circumstance and say this is not for me I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with even the idea of the porn industry right yeah uh well (laughs) I grew up Mormon (laughs) my dad was (laughs) my dad was a bishop um, but I, I guess I'm just, I'm the oldest of seven kids. I'm, uh, a total rebel at heart. And I don't know how much you know about the Mormon religion, but you know, when I was 13, 14 years old and I realized what it meant, you know, to go to heaven in Mormon religion, which is essentially to be one of many wives of a man and just the role of women within the church organization did not fit like my sense of self (laughs) at a pretty young age, you know, I was like, this is not for me. And I began rebelling pretty hard against, uh, against my parents and against going to church in general. Um, and I was a very, very long time was what you would call like a punk rocker and hung out with all of those, you know, with those kids and was just a total, I obviously, you know, streamlined my life and went to college and did all that stuff. But I, but I think at heart, I've always just been really reluctant to accept what people tell me or have told me I should be or what fits into that box. And so I think I just had that, you know what, everyone's told me sex is bad my entire life. And like, I don't know, I want to discover if it really is. And I, and again, I just read the, I guess, temperature of the room. I liked the people that I was working for. They were paying me well. They treated me, you know, like a professional. So I was like, I'm okay with this. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That is so wild that you grew up Mormon. And I I think a lot of people actually share that narrative of just being in kind of a religious environment, having grown up. Um, Even people who didn't grow up ultra religious, I think a lot of our schooling systems, a lot of our educational systems really put kind of this super sex negative messaging around us that makes us want to rebel. It makes us want to question, you know, if you really have that personality type, it makes you want to question, well, why? Why not? Yeah, I think it does. It makes you, I don't know, I think when when you, from a young age, when somebody's always told you that something is really bad and you've discovered that actually it isn't, it just makes you question a lot of the things in general that you're being told by, if you will, patriarchy that are good and bad. So I think it's that natural for me, I'm like, I don't know, I've seen what's behind the curtain, right? It's just a man pulling these, you know, tricks and like telling us what we have to do. And so I think I just viewed it as like one more thing to be like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my own opinion about this. I'm not gonna listen to what 
like the world has to say about it, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even that comment you just made, I think, is so relevant today. And like kind of once you get that mentality, you start to realize and question kind of the systems around us. And I think that's like what is happening to kind of the 10th degree right now in our culture. Like we are just looking at it through such a fine lens. And I think a lot of people who formerly hadn't really looked at it through such a fine lens, are our, our eyes are opening to a lot of what the systems around us are telling us and not telling us. Yeah. And it almost seems like it's being hyperpolarized, you know, like there's a pretty large group of people that are making a big statement that it's something, you know, like about reproductive rights. And, you know, anyway, we could go down that whole rabbit hole, but I think it, it's definitely in our country right now, specifically, there's folks who are eyes wide open and folks who are really standing, like digging their feet deep that, you know, we should continue in this way that things have been forever. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I'm curious what, you saw as a gap in the industry that led you to creating your first product? Like, I really want to chat about that first iteration because I'm curious about that defining moment. Um, Was it when you were working in the industry, just starting out, and you really started seeing products that you didn't feel aligned with? I just want to hear all about that thought process. Yeah. So I worked in the business for 15 years before I started before we started COTR, Children of the Revolution. And so I had a lot of, I worked my way up from the bottom, right? So I started as a receptionist, or an administrative assistant. Then I was a sales assistant. Then I became, you know, so I literally played all of these roles within the business. And part of, um, you know, part of that ladder in sales is traveling, you know, our business is like most very small and, and, you know, we, everybody sort of knows each other, but from a global perspective, I traveled all over the world and did training seminars, you know, Russia, Australia, Europe, all over the United States, everywhere from Kansas to Seattle, you know, all over the place. And it just sort of felt like the same common issues were coming up over and over again, that one very specific group of people was being marketed to and the products were not really being designed by anybody who was using them. And the messaging was just terrible, <laughs> you know, it was really terrible. And I would go into retail stores and yeah, there, I, I worked for some really large manufacturers and then I worked for a couple small boutique brands. And it was actually when I worked at Jimmy Jane, a company that was acquired by a private equity firm. And the dynamic has changed really, really. Uh, it's, it's a completely different company than when I worked there. Um, but at the time, they were out in front about, you know, being sex positive and using body safe materials and using products that weren't phallic shaped and educating people. And that I think imprinted me in such a way I came from this really large manufacturer that did have products that made me feel uncomfortable and not aligned with uh, my own like personal principles, which is why I ended up leaving. They came out with a particular line and I was like, I can't represent this. Mm. Um, and then went to Jimmy Jane. And then from Jimmy Jane, uh, unfortunately, that company was acquired. And, you know, eventually they let the majority of the sales staff go. And that's when I started COTR. It was perfect timing. I had this like plethora of experience. I had these things that I felt, as you say, gaps in the marketplace. Um, and one of them was particularly anal play products. And still, believe it or not, B-Vibe, which was our first brand, is the only 
company that focuses 100% on anal play products for anybody, you know, not specifically for like prostate products or, but it's just like any, you know, wherever you at, whatever your body type is, whatever your orientation is like that's, and that's really was literally my goal. And to, I became a certified sex educator about the time that we launched B vibe. And I did that really because I just felt there was so much misinformation and the information that was out there again was super heteronormative or very gay and there and it was super gendered and so I just felt like wow there's not a place for people to just learn how to have anal sex pleasurably (laughs) you know and like that feels like that should go one in one with these products that were coming out with butt toys like we should teach people how to use them and like how to properly like get pleasure and like what's safe and not safe and how to talk to their partners and so those those all felt like big gaps and that's really why we started b-vibe that was the first and you know, the rimming butt plug, <laughs> which I find hilarious because I came from Jimmy Jane, which is like this very, uh, you know, Kate Moss wore our products. It was like such a trendy, like very fashion forward brand. And then the first product we came out with was like this big rimming butt plug. <laughs> and people were like, what? Uh, you? But I really like, you know, again, just because it's a butt toy doesn't make it bad. And I think that's kind of my messaging has always been like, there's no right or wrong. Like everything, if it feels good and you're a consenting adult, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're touching on a really important point here, which is that a lot of people just don't have the education and the know-how around pleasure, right? Like where it's so hush-hush, it's so skirted under the rug that these questions are so valid and I love that you're creating a space that not only is creating products but you're also centering education as one of the main pillars of all of your brands yeah absolutely because I I mean I guess in my view um you know we've seen more folks interested in trying anal play when there's sex positive information and other people sharing their stories and experiences about it so I think for me informing the public, if you will, like, you know, informing people, um, it means that there's more positive experiences. And if people have more positive experiences and more willingness to talk about it, um, it's sort of like grassroots marketing, which is almost the number one in my, because we, we are very limited in our market, in our marketing advertising opportunities. So almost word of mouth is the way that we can really like help our, help other people feel okay um, and education is a, an incredible vessel for that. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I'm curious to, as we jump into the topic of masturbation, I'm curious how you recommend we begin to normalize it because I know culturally a lot of people feel shame. I think that a lot of the messaging we get heteronormatively speaking is that it's totally cool for men to masturbate and that the dialogue has honestly done such a disservice to women and individuals who identify really outside of the heteronormative um, because we haven't allowed and given permission to just everybody to feel pleasure. So how do we begin to normalize it, especially if we're coming from a place or if anybody who's listening is coming to a place where there is shame around it? I mean, it's tricky because masturbation is like many things or most things or all things, if you will, 
Um, it's something we've been socially conditioned around. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is like in school, we don't talk about pleasure and we don't talk about masturbation. And these are very, you know, important functions of your body. If you view your sexual health as part of your overall, you know, wellness, which I mean, I think most of us will, we know all of the positive benefits of masturbation physically, like within our actual body. Um, but we don't talk about any of those and we don't talk about pleasure at all. There's no pleasure based education. You know, the United States, we can, I won't get into all the facts, but it's, it's pretty poor, yes. <laughs> pretty poor, sad education around sex in general. So like school, that would be a number one, like some form of education around pleasure and why it feels good and why we want to have sex. Because let's be honest, most people aren't having sex for reproduction. That's a pretty small portion of people. You know, not to say, you know, obviously folks are having kids, but most of us are having sex way more times in our life than we are trying to procreate or yes. recreate, you know, I would say beyond that media, you know, like the way that masturbation is represented in media. So if it's represented like American pie and it's a joke, uh, you know, it, and it's something that people laugh at, or it's something that people get caught and they feel embarrassed about in like every single opportunity for us to view masturbation in media is with this lens of it's embarrassing or it's wrong. Obviously, that's the way we're going to be socially conditioned if we don't have self-awareness to challenge that. So accurate media representations about masturbation being okay. Um, I also think the way that parents raise their children, this is something that we talk about, you know, when you're going to, when you're becoming a sex educator, um, you know, a lot of the, the ways that sexual master, masturbation issues show up. So say like somebody who's a rapid ejaculator or somebody who um, needs extra pressure, like these can be functions of a person's body, but a lot of times they're related to the ways that uh, parents spoke to children. So for example, if I was two years old or three years old and I started touching my, say my vagina or my clitoris, and it felt good. And my parents told me that that was get your, you know, you know, using some language like get your you know, hands off. That's disgusting. Don't do that. Those things imprint in your head at a pretty young age. So it takes being as a parent like, hey, that's OK for you to do that. But we don't do that in front of people. That's something you do privately and reiterating that message to children from a young age. So those are all the things that as a society, we have to make those choices to right recognize and, and spend time eradicating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that, you know, that can that can be challenging to reframe those notions and it can feel uncomfortable to go against something that you've just been kind of following by example your whole life. So I think it it really takes a moment of reflection and a lot of examination just just of of what you want, right? Like what your desires are. Yeah, I mean it also I mean it's it's a lot to be conscious of all of the 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 ways in which <laughs> you know, you're told to think about something and then to sort of peel the layer back and actually decide that you're not going to think about it that way. And as you said, you have to rebel against each of those different things or reframe your thought process around it. So yeah, it is work, definitely. Um, but I do think there's a growing number of people who are doing that work and, uh, if you will, doing, you know, activism around pleasure, um, you know, and, and many, I would say, sex toy brands are specifically, you know, trying to build community and, and social acceptance around specifically you know, people who have vulvas feeling 
okay and normalizing the the you know normalizing the use of sex toys and masturbation in general yes totally and i i'm really curious to ask you this question specifically because um i think a lot of people feel like they're at crossroads when they are maybe in partnerships or relationships and they're under the impression that that partnership should be fulfilling all the sexual needs and voids and the idea of masturbation within a partnership feels awkward or uncomfortable or they don't know how to address it what what are your thoughts here I'm so interested in this (laughs) um well like a two-tier like in general I think that one person cannot be everything for anybody. Um, and I think that that applies to all things. I think, uh, you know, whether that's friendship, like, and again, only speaking from my, from a, from a personal perspective, my partner is amazing, but he doesn't satisfy all of my emotional needs. I have girlfriends that I like to talk to. I have parents, I have family, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, I think the most important part, whether it's your sex life, uh, or otherwise, is that you have a really strong, meaningful connection. If you have a really strong, meaningful connection and a, and a solid sex life, whatever that means to you, because there's no such thing as too much or too little as long as both people in the relationship are comfortable with whatever that dynamic is. So if it's once a day, great. If it's once a month, great, as long as both people are happy with that. The issue is, when it, is where I think it comes with mismatched desire, where one partner wants to have sex say three times a week and the other person only wants to have sex once a month and the person that wants more sex is masturbating in the meantime and the other person feels slighted by that or has like an as some some emotional um response to it that makes the other person feel guilty and i think that's the dynamic i hear a lot mm. um and also there's a whole plethora of stuff around pornography that i could you know that's another layer um but i i think you know, it's really about communication because if you're, if you're feeling a physical need, um, even speaking from my own perspective, if I'm traveling, you know, my partner, or, you know, and I'm not around, like I'm masturbating, like my body, wa- I want to have uh, an orgasm, you know, yep. or I'm busy during the day and like, you know, my partner is wants to have sex and I don't, I'm like, enjoy yourself, you know, like, but I'm, that's me. That's my comfort level. Like, I also am, you know, very connected to my partner and feel really safe in my relationship, but I'm not concerned, you know, so I, I, there's so many different like emotional layers to that. Um, but I do think communication, you know, really communicating and, and being open about like where your insecurities are, where your strengths are, like that's going to create a solid relationship. And I think most of the issues actually aren't about masturbation they actually are more about expectation of, a, of another person's desire of you uh, and, and other things around that. You know, I don't want to say that's what everyone's needs are, but I think a lot of them, a lot of the core emotions are, are actually sor- sort of like things that aren't necessarily about the physical act of masturbation. Totally. And I think even like that same concept applies to sex. And I love how you brought up high desire, low desire partnerships, which is so it's so common. And I think that we have to be able to fulfill our needs 
and do so ourselves. And a lot of the time, it's not even it's not about the sex or the masturbation. It, it's usually it's usually something else that is kind of pulling at your strings, and it might be coming out in your sexuality or or your desire, right? Definitely. And I think the way that, I mean, for me, when I think about a masturbation orgasm, uh, and we talk about this, again, this is something you learn in sex education. A lot of times master or, or orgasm is about release, right? You feel like ugh, a release, right? A lot, a lessening of pressure and experience of pleasure. So if that's what masturbation fulfills for people, and it means that you get to stay, I don't know, <laughs> Sometimes when people don't get the amount of, uh, say, sexual experience they want, masturbation is a great, right? It's a fill-in for that. And it means that the parties get to stay happy within their, you know, between the two of them, if you will. Like, it means people aren't looking outside a relationship to be fulfilled. Yeah. Hopefully. Especially when there's good and good communication about what works for both parties. Totally. I know your products are so diverse and that's what I love so much about what you do. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how we can diversify our pleasure. And kind of what I mean by this is I think a lot of the time, and I'm so guilty of this too, is that when a certain way you have sex or a certain way you masturbate works and feels good, we kind of stick to a formula. We kind of stick to like a recipe. And I want to hear just how we can get better at having different orgasms and having different ways we seek pleasure. I also don't want to like put an orgasm on a pillar because I think that not orgasming sometimes is also just as satisfying in a different way. So tell me how we can diversify our pleasure. Yeah, so I think it's, I mean, I always talk about, you know, your sex life kind of like a menu <laughs> because, you know, you have your favorites, right? Like, you know, the things that are your comfort foods, if you will. Um, and then there's like some more exotic foods, which, you know, maybe you've thought about trying, but yeah, it requires effort and preparation and it may or may not be something you like. So, uh, you know, maybe that's something that, uh, and everyone's, you know, I'm going to throw out a once a month, try something new, but like that it might be once a quarter, it might be once every six months, like whatever the answer is for you, there's not a right or wrong. But I would say if you want to diversify your pleasure, then it does take sort of sitting down and writing likes, absolute no's and maybes, and maybe comparing those things with your partner and then putting together a, like a little list of like, hey, I see we're a match on these I don't know, five things, which one do we want to try first? Is it a little fetish play? Is it a uh, prostate orgasm? You know, is it pegging? Is it writing a cowgirl? Is it a new position? You know, is it, there's so many, and I think it's a little bit of research, like everything, right? You do a little bit of research, find the things. And most, a lot of things don't have to be or aren't expensive, you know, there's so many ways that you can experience different types of sexual experiences that it's just like literally tying a, a blindfold and, you know, playing with a popsicle, you know, like you can really get creative. Maybe it's temperature play. Um, maybe it's a type of bondage. It's a game, you know, like, so I think it's just about, again, putting time and effort um, and being mindful about how you want to create these experiences. And I know this is going to sound really boring, but scheduling it, believe it or not, scheduling uh, like, I don't know, an adventurous sex night 
is a lot of fun because it means you get to prepare. It means you're mentally ready. Um, it's something to look forward to, especially right now. Yes. So I think those are all like, you know, just different, just being creative about it. I totally agree with you first off on the notion of scheduling I think it's like a really fun anticipatory adventure whether it's with a partner or even just with yourself just setting some me time aside but you bring up such a great point which is that just the idea of putting in effort behind sex I think sometimes is like tabooed a bit like we're told a lot of times that, you know, sex is spontaneous and we shouldn't really talk about it and it should just happen in the moment. And I think that it's like anything, like anything you want to get better at, anything that you want to practice and 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 feel good around, you have to put effort behind. I mean, think of working out, right? Like it doesn't just happen. Like you you have to schedule it. You have to you know, want to or know that you're going to feel better at the end of it. And sometimes you don't want to do it, but, you know, whatever it is. And and I, I just I really like that you bring that up because I think that a lot of the time people think that they they shouldn't feel the need to put the effort behind it. Well, listen, it probably is pretty spontaneous in the beginning, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like if I look at my sexual experiences, I'm like, I didn't have to think twice for the first, I don't know, three or four years, but I've been with my partner for eight years now and there's, you know, dry spells and, you know, uh, monsoon seasons. And part of getting out of the dry spells, I would say is again, being like, okay, like, you know, and again, I'm a sex educator. I work in the sex industry so like I have a different relationship with sex in general but like sometimes I'm just like man we gotta spice this up like we gotta like you know like what are we doing here but yeah it is it's it's definitely communication and work and I and it might those things all might sound boring but if your ultimate goal is a fulfilling sex life then yeah it's gonna be effort so I know starting a business and in your case, multiple businesses, it takes a lot. I know when you're dealing with tabooed products and narratives that it honestly just adds like such an extra layer of honestly creativity. Um, It can be challenging because a lot of things can be banned or not approved or labeled as explicit. And so I want to know, like, what are some of the hurdles that you felt like you've had to overcome building a business specifically around pleasure? You know, there's so many different layers. It's like, you know, even from the really simple stuff of like being able to do an event or a trade show, like there's just places that won't take us, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, payment processors. So like we recently had uh, a payment processor for our uh, for our credit cards, just, you know, send us an email that our entire processing system was going to be dropped. Um, because they have a new CEO who's not comfortable with the type of products that we sell. Um, we've had, you know, top tier customers like, you know, that are in say like an electronics realm, uh, be great customers. And then again, same thing next day, their company changes directions and we can't sell to them anymore. We've been shadow banned multiple times on Instagram. We can't advertise or do any type of paid advertising on social media. So everything is through influencers. Uh, we can't advertise in any like regular uh, magazines or, you know, it, and in general, it's just tough to get people to talk about sex toys or pleasure. So, I mean, there's so many layers, like it's even tough for people to talk about their own to their own friends. So, for example, if you went and tried a incredible skincare product and you're like, this thing's awesome, 
you would probably tell your friends about it. Cause they'd be like, your skin, it looks neat. Okay. But like when you try a great sex toy, are you necessarily going out and telling all your friends about it? So it's like, it's kind of everything. It's, it's just having to be creative and build community in these really unique ways um, and finding the people that are willing to talk about it because not everybody's even willing to follow us on Instagram, right? Like it might be uncomfortable for their family members to see that they follow a sex toy brand or comment on a post that we do. Um, and even people that buy products from us want to be assured that it's in a, a plain cardboard box. They don't want any brand names on it. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of layers to making people feel comfortable and finding ways to talk about the product. It's like a tightrope, you know, <laughs> it's a tightrope. It upsets me to see that a lot of what is allowed on Instagram is really kind of comes back to a lot of sexism too um and Facebook and it's it's really tough because um that is honestly the number one vehicle for advertising right now like pretty much hands down I know word of mouth is so strong but you're like you're saying it's hard when it comes down to our pleasure because we just don't talk about it the same way we talk about a skincare routine so I think that it's so cool that you have done what you've done and honestly created such a cult following around some of your brands and you're really making and paving new way for other founders to also feel like they have the permission and the ability to do the same thing in in different creative ways. So that kind of segues me into my next question, which is where do you think that we're heading as a culture when it comes to our sex wellness? Do you think that we're going to, that we've made progress? That Do you think we've gone a long ways? Do you think we're going to be able to eventually get to a point where we can advertise on places like Instagram and Facebook? With the current information I have right now, um, I think we're at uh, almost like a crossroads. We have done so much work. There are so many uh, really incredible people, whether it be trans activists, reproductive rights activists, um, folks that are just doing you know so much education around pleasure. I mean, it's so impressive how sex education has really become, uh, it has it just gained such a large presence in the past five years. There was, it was so small when I started and it's incredible to see that it's exploded, at least in my world. Yes. Um, and people really, brands, you know, paying attention to it, influencers being, you know, that do this work, all of those different things, right, that the internet has enabled. But I think that there is a really collectively large group of people who are opposed to all of that. And I do feel that it's, it, this is just my opinion and, and you know, I, I down to be corrected, but, you know, it feels like those groups are equally as large. If you read data and most people agree with Roe versus Wade in the United States, but what it does seem is that there's this super conservative mm. uh, group in the United States and they are gaining traction as well. So I, I feel that it can swing either way. I, you know, the current landscape of Facebook and Instagram uh, does not look like it's going to change anytime soon. In fact, we've just recently been shadow banned on one of our brands. I thought that was over, <laughs> but it's back. So I don't, again, I don't know that I have, like on one hand, it's like all this great work and progress has been made. And then on the other hand, it feels like, <laughs> I'm like, want to use like a Star Wars analogy, you know, like the dark side is like getting stronger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, 
fingers crossed that like, you know, we move a direction that does allow for what I consider pleasure, aka a human right to flourish and to be more socially acceptable and for it to be easier to sell products and buy products. So I hope, you know, I guess would be my key takeaway is I hope. How do you stay mentally sane every time you get shadow banned? I guess, you know, almost 20 years of living in a pretty censored business and working with folks, many, you know, there's people on our team that still don't stay to their family where they work. So I think, you know, we just have this experience with living or being sort of othered for a long time. And it's like, every time that happens, it's another mission. I don't know. It's like, okay, we, we know how to do this. We can do this. We're strong enough. And it's like, you just got to like get back up on the horse and do it again. (laughs) But it is really frustrating. And there's some days where I say like, I emotionally hibernate and then like I'll stub my toe and I'll just like start screaming about like, that's the thing that'll sort of like finally let it all out. But we've got a business to run and we've got things to do and we can't, we can't let this nonsense slow us down. I want to segue into kind of this time of isolation right now because so much has changed since March. And I'm wondering if you think that people's perceptions around pleasure have changed or and also has it changed for you? I would say my perception, personally speaking, my perception of pleasure, I guess it has changed because <laughs> um, because what in some ways I find that I'm taking better care of myself than ever as particularly because I was had a pretty rigorous travel schedule and I've had the opportunity to connect with my partner um, in a way that I really haven't in five years because you know launching a business is uh, extremely time consuming and it meant that I wasn't home a lot so my ability to like have a better sex life and to be more mindful and thoughtful, in the ways that I connect with my partner have been better, but there's also been times where I've had like zero desire. If I'm being really honest, it's, I would say there's been ups and downs. I mean, it seems like, you know, March was terrible. April was worse. May got better. June got even better. July went, you know, like it's been an interesting up and down. Yes. Um, (laughs) I want to say like, yeah, I'm sure we all can relate. I want to say with, um, you know, with the, what I see out in the world, what's really interesting is the amount of press, that we got in like April. I don't think we've ever gotten so much press. Uh, April and May, it was just incredible how many publications were coming to us and they wanted to talk about sex toys and how much influencers were excited to be promoting pleasure and excited to be talking about the sex toys they love. I would say that that's really shifted and I guess that's part of the political landscape also is that people want to talk about different things. I think. June past June on, it's been a different, a different experience in general. Um, and I think that, you know, people want to experience pleasure. I think they, uh, listen, you can't go to a strip club anymore. You, it's really tough to hook up with people. Uh, dating has a completely different dynamic. Um, you know, so all those, you know, your access to other, you know, partners and relationships has been tourniqueted. So sex toys are a great, resource right for pleasure so we have our sales have been strong but I think it's really hard for people to feel pleasure right now if I'm you know if I'm being honest there's a lot of heavy shit going on in the world um and I 
feel that reflected in sort of what's what's happening with our engagement online, if you will, and like, you know, measurable data and just my sort of own intuition. Yeah. And, and I mean, it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about earlier, which is just like there's this need right now more than ever, honestly, to put in effort into our pleasure. And so I think that can feel honestly, it can feel exhausting, right? Like, yeah, it's it's been harder uh, just across the board. Yeah, this has been a tough year. I mean, I just wrote an email this morning and I to a friend of mine and I was just like, man, 2020 took RBG too. Like what else? Like I dare say what else, you know, like, (laughs) like it's just been a lot. This year has been a lot. It's testing our emotional resilience. But I'm curious what your sexual wellness routine has looked like and your rituals have looked like kind of in lieu of all this. Like, have they changed? Are they the same? What are what are you doing these days? it seems like the six months has been like six years, you know, and there's almost a different experience uh, with what's kind of going on. But I would say like recently, which I do feel in the past couple of months, I've been like the most healthy, if you will, like kind of my mental outlook and sort of like physical well-being. I mean, that does involve like on a busy work day, like if I want to have an orgasm, just like literally, you know, having a quickie uh, during the day and then just being really you know, tr- I really try because uh, in my relationship, for both of us, it's important for, for my partner and I to like have a really deep sexual connection at least two to three times a week and then maybe some easy quickies in between. So I try to be really mindful of that and like plan those nights, you know, so if those involve, you know, other things like, you know, maybe like eating a gummy and... <laughs> Having a glass of wine, you know, and like listening to music and like setting, setting the stage, nice candlelight music that we like, you know, sometimes we do like slow dancing together. We did this thing where we wrote like little like turn ons and we put them in a jar and then like once a week we each pull from the jar and like do those, you know, so we tried to be like really creative with the ways that we connect. And I think that's, that's our routine. So it's like once a week we pull from this like sort of turn on this jar. Um, we have a really deep connect, like sexual connection night um, that may or may not involve <laughs> alcohol and, uh, you know, different things like that. And, you know, but just again, just trying to be really cognizant about each other's needs. What do you do when you're feeling disconnected and overwhelmed? Like, I know we were saying this pandemic has really tested all of us. So is there something that you do when you're just like, kind of going a little bit crazy to just recenter yourself yeah so I'm a very physical person like I'm in my body and a lot of things that stress me out show up uh almost right away in my body uh I have a lot of anxiety if I you know uh, if I'm stressed out like that's uh, how it exhibits so like I have a lot of stomach issues or I like buzz a lot um and when those things happen the what's most helpful for me is like a long walk outside in the sun you know doing it can be so simple as like you know 15 to 20 minutes of like a a yoga or stretching routine I really uh you know friends are super helpful like I really if I have a friend I might just say like hey do you have the bandwidth to sort of like help me come down from the stressful moment I'm in and, you know, chatting with a friend and going for a walk, is sort of like a real win-win. And then, you know, meditation is incredibly helpful for me. I actually fall asleep every night to those calm, those like 10 minute calm meditations. I love calm. Have you listened to 
It's the best. It's, and I, I've been wanting to try those chats because they look so good. Yes. I um I just I decided to just buy the app a few months ago and it has been such a blessing. I do it before like even every podcast interview. Ah, uh, yeah. It's it is it's so centering. Yeah. You know, it really like brings you again, it brings like I have a thing with grounding. Like grounding is really important for me because I just live in my head so mm-hmm. much, but everything exhibits in my body, right? Everything that I do is about like ideas and, you know, it, it's like the mental, the, you know, analyzation of things. And so nothing is physical for me. And I think it's really important for me to like ground myself. So even sometimes just like standing up, I don't know if you've ever done like the Superman pose yes. where you put your hands on your hips, right? You take up a lot of space and do some deep breaths, like crazy stuff like that works for me. I mean, I guess I shouldn't characterize it as crazy, but I know like from an outside perspective, if you're not into sort of like being in your body and you're mindful of those types of things that can look a little, you know, I don't know. What can I say? I'm from LA. Like to me, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, it all seems normal, but I, but, but yeah, I do think that that's connecting with connecting back into my body, whether that be through my, the meditation or a physical uh, act of like moving myself are all very helpful ways. As we're wrapping up, I'm curious to know how do you recommend we better connect to our pleasure and what makes us feel good? If we're connecting to ourselves and we're talking about connecting to our own pleasure, I think masturbation is a really, or solo sex, if you will, if that makes you know folks feel better, um, is, it, is it an amazing way to connect to yourself um, and understand your body. And I know, and listen, I'm 40 years old and I've been in the sex toy industry for almost 20 years. And I sometimes, not even sometimes, like often, um, have trouble expressing my sexual needs. So I think solo sex gives us this opportunity, you know, okay, I like how this feels in this place. How can I, I either keep this for my own solo sex routine or share this, you know, with another person that I'm, I'm going to have sex with. I don't know. It's sometimes also just like having an orgasm with yourself, like reminds yourself of, I got it. I still got it. You know, I got yeah. the ability to have this this orgasm on my own. And like, I can, I don't, I have a a deep connection to being able to quote unquote, take care of myself. So like that involves also like being able to orgasm with myself and like actually feeling zero shame around it because I grew up really religiously and I used to have a, a very adverse reaction to orgasm, especially if it was masturbation, I would sometimes cry or feel guilty Um, And so now reaching this stage where like, I don't experience that anymore. It's like a good reminder that like, we can't, I can change my mental framing. And then I can also like deeply connect with this place in myself that, uh, that I just allow myself to experience pleasure. Mm, I love that so much. Tell me what's coming down the pipeline at COTR. So for the rest of this year, we have a really cool special edition coming out for B-Vibe, October 8th. Um, and, uh, you'll see that launch, um, like newsletters and social media and so on and so forth. Um, and then we have another really beautiful piece coming out for Lawand, another special edition, uh, like holiday, uh, holiday set coming out in November. And then, um, towards the end of the year slash beginning of next year, we have a, I think one of our best, um, drops ever coming out for Lawand. 
Oh my gosh. So we've got, yeah, like three special editions coming out, like one each month. So it's going to be a big end of the year for us. It's been a lot preparing all the marketing for it, but we're really excited in the ways that we're communicating about sex and making, it's been my personal goal to just give people something fun, you know, like let's, we need fun. We need to feel happy. We need to like feel joyful. So like we've really made all of our items the rest of this year center around those concepts. Alicia, this was so incredible. Please tell us where we can connect with you, where we can find you. Give us all the details. Yeah, so I don't personally participate in social media, (laughs) but you can find um, bits and pieces of me all the time through our brand. So uh, on social media, Luan Luan Massager um, or B-Vibe underscore social, uh, Ride the Cowgirl. Those are the three places where you'll probably see um, all of our different marketing. And then our advice and, um, you know, our our lifestyle newsletters on uh, bvibe.com has the anal play advice section, which is incredible. There's a whole butt stuff basics, which is videos. I'm in some of those videos. And then Lawand has Rumble and Buzz, so lawandmassager.com. And there's like tons of great articles specifically around pleasure um, and masturbation and and all the joyful ways that you can play with your sex toys. Well, I encourage everybody to go to those destinations to go check out your products. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. To follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission.